welcome to the Amphibian Press podcast. I'm Sarah Boris, and with me today are the two halves of OE Tierman, Olivia and Anir. So thank you so much for joining me all the way from Colorado. Thanks for having us. We're yeah. really excited. <laughs> I know we've been we've been talking about this for for a long time, so it's nice to finally you know get it done. Get it done. I'm a real human being, not just an email account. <laughs> um, so. You guys are the authors of Aces High, Joker's Wild series, which is like my favorite um, <laughs> biased here. Um, so if you don't mind for uh, those of our listeners who haven't heard me fangirl about it for the past few months, um, give us a little background. Well, um, the series revolves around a unit in a resistance force fighting to bring democracy back to the America of 2155 which is owned by seven corporations. And the story revolves around a team called the Wildcards, who have the highest success rate in the resistance force, and also the highest rate of disciplinary um, issues. Yeah, reports, <laughs> including sending an inflatable sheep sex toy to another base. <laughs> how they act. So that's the basic premise of the series, it's the adventures, the trials, the struggles, and the hopefulness of this found family. I definitely love the, uh, the sort of firefly aspect um, of that like ragtag band versus this big like faceless austere um, corporation or you know force mm -hmm. of, of, of some sort. Um, that's the you know something I, I've always gravitated towards for sure. Um, so tell me a little bit about your, your inspiration, um, especially for the two main characters, uh, Aiden and Kevin. Well, Aiden really came from my personal experiences and trying to kind of untangle gender for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and the, I originally was, was writing a solo novel um, around Aiden and a separate love interest. And then I tagged Olivia and I'm like, hey, would you help me with some world building for this? And I went, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> then the, the solo novel died and wild cards came about. <laughs> uh, and Kevin is mostly Liv's, uh, what would you say, love of retro? <laughs> uh, Kevin is a couple of things. He started out as just a love interest for this character who already existed. And I ended up getting in a lot of I guess my own personal issues. Um, I come from a family that really pushes um, education is the way to rise in society, but they have a lot of internalized elitist tendencies. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those tendencies came in, but the more his character evolved, the more it was a way to explore how does somebody with privilege use it right? How does somebody with privilege use it to help others? And I'm bi, so he also became a chance for me to explore how do you live in a world where you slide in and out of identities, and in some places what you are is a good thing, and in some places what you are is a threat. You know, some folks who are marginalized, it's just you're always fighting every day. But for someone, I'm also mixed race, and so for someone who has identities that are in the middle of things? Variable, yeah. Sometimes it's easy to feel like you just disappear in the right circumstances, and that is a passing privilege, 
but it's also a different kind of wound mm -hmm. to have to hide mm -hmm. whenever it's convenient. So yeah, a lot of that got worked in. And then I just love the idea of the history buff. So Kevin lives in 2155, but he's obsessed with the, what he thinks of as the 80s, which is actually from the 60s to the 90s. <laughs> I love working in all those anachronisms of the amateur history buff. I love history. I don't get what it, it's going on, but I love it. <laughs> so I like working on all those mistakes. I do love that, that one line um, where he says, have you seen the classic Shrek? <laughs> it's like a world where Shrek is considered a classic. <laughs> Well, and I love getting in Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, because mm -hmm. that song, Kevin loves it, and it drives him up the wall, because he's like, this song is awesome. What the hell is it about? I don't get it. And then he drives everyone else up the wall, because they're like, what is happening? Why is this song playing all the time? Kevin, stop. And why is it on 11? Turn it down. <laughs> I also love that, um, in some ways, calling all of those decades the 80s is poking gentle fun at the fact that a lot of cyberpunk worlds are really stuck in the 80s in a lot of ways because I mean that's when the genre for the most part you know hit, hit the mainstream and that's really fun and it's also I think a, a good way to modernize it uh, for you know slightly younger generations who might not have actually seen the 80s or might not remember them so that's that's really fun. Yeah, and it's, um, it's actually a direct personal weakness of mine. I call everything 80s music. And it's true, she does. <laughs> I'm married to a guy 10 years older than me, and he regularly goes, ah, uh, that's from the 70s. <laughs> so, yeah. It's always interesting looking back at our characters and how much of ourselves we put in them on accident. Yeah. Um, it's like, when I was creating Aiden, I knew that he had my gender issues and he had my anxiety but the way that he kind of deals with it and the way that he learns to lean on people is something I'm still working on. And so like my character has now become my own role model. You know? And that's like really bizarre, but also really cool. Well, I think that's, that's important too, because as you explore that, you know that your readers are going to be able to explore that, whether it's something that they, they themselves feel on, on some level, or if it's something that's, newer to them you know they they can explore that with Aiden and with you and um that's sort of like the point right <laughs> I mean that's that's why I write mostly marginalized characters <laughs> I think it's important that we get them more into the mainstream and expose people to these different experiences mm -hmm. because you know especially with the way society is going right now we, we remember how to be empathetic mm -hmm. and one of the things Liv and I had like started this project with was that art changes the world mm -hmm. art is at the core of every revolutionary period and so kind of our goal is if we can contribute to that motion and to that movement nowadays and increase empathy and teach people hey just because they're different from you doesn't mean that they're not people, mm -hmm. then I, I think we've achieved our goal. <laughs> yeah, and something else we really enjoy showcasing is radical compassion. Um, for example, we have a character in the story who's neurodivergent, Tweak. She's an amazing coder, but if you scare her at the wrong moment, she will break your nose. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Poor Topher. <laughs> One of our other characters gets his nose broken because she, he scares Tweak at the wrong moment. But wanted to show partly with Tweak, aside from just kick-ass coding, was there are different kinds of strength. Mm-hmm. And in the right setting, if you give somebody the support they need, they can reach potentials you never would have expected. But they need that support first. You have to give everyone a chance to rise. And that does take radical compassion. Yes, she freaked out. Yes, she can be dangerous. So make sure she has some anti-anxiety meds and tell everybody, don't touch Tweak. (laughs) And then you have an amazing coder. If they had done what, say, a school would do, which is, you're suspended. You broke somebody's nose. You're a danger to other students. You're suspended. They never would have gotten anywhere. But if you say, okay. You wouldn't have had a story. Exactly. In the second half of the book. Exactly. But if you say, okay, we understand you have some serious problems. You need to work on them. But we will support you in working on them. It's not a pass by any means. It's you need to get your crap together. We'll help you do that. It's, it's something that we've done as friends too. Yeah. Because uh, we've been friends for what, a decade now? Nine on a decade, yeah. Um, and when we both started, we were, let's be real, anxious wrecks. <laughs> um, and then learning to support each other and encourage each other's growth. I, we've come a long way. And here we are publishing books about you know, crazy people. And radical <laughs> compassion, yeah. About us. <laughs> and a lot of our friends and family. Um, don't, don't tell people that. <laughs> Yeah, people are going to start <laughs> start wondering who they are. All right. Ugh. I'll say it straight out because my family knows it. My family's crazy. <laughs> I think I think most families are crazy. And most families are crazy. Yeah. I um I also love what you did with therapy and working that in in a very seamless and just 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 natural a, a very organic way um, with Aiden's. Um, therapeutic program um, that, that his friend made for him. And that's something that you don't see. I mean, we're seeing it more now, especially in like more contemporary and YA books. Um, it's but, thick. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And given the situations people are put in, in spec fic. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the, yeah, it's like with sci-fi and with, um, with fantasy too. And in, in a lot of ways, it's like you're putting these characters through very traumatic situations and they probably should process those whether it's with friends like like you guys or whether it's with an actual trained professional which it should be and um i just i really loved what you what you did with that because that's something you really don't see a lot of well thank you yeah thank you something i i really wanted to address is we didn't want to fix our characters (laughs) we didn't want them to be cured but we wanted to show that you can have these problems and learn to cope with them in a healthy way and live with them and have a happy life and have a good life even when you've got some wiring problems that's what my family calls it Uh, it's a joke it's we all have wiring problems but i have younger cousins who i i want this partly got in there because i have younger cousins who have wiring problems and family who have wiring problems and i wanted to showcase you can have a good life and then we well, I I think Omi initially showed we started tossing that idea around when I started going to therapy. Yes, right? 
Yes. Um, so it, it was, in addition to that, kind of a little bit of mental health activism yeah. thrown in. Um, I, I'm not one of those people who's like, I'm going to force activism and politicalness into my stories. Yeah. But if I have a chance to add something that increases that message mm -hmm. and it works in the story, then heck yes, I'm going to do it. Exactly. Um, so as I was starting my own therapy and like talking to my therapist and, and really digging into these sorts of things, we, we were talking, I was like, you know what, Aiden needs this. Yeah. And he needs it as a character and he needs it as a political statement in the book and in the world. Um, yeah. And then, then we figured out Omi. <laughs> yeah. And then it was really funny because no near going to therapy gave me the guts to actually go and get some stuff worked out myself because I started, I went to the doctor saying, Hey, I'm having heart problems and some family have died from heart attacks. And the doctor was like, this is anxiety, honey. Yeah. You're not having heart problems. You're having a panic attack. My response was, no, I'm not. <laughs> and so having a friend who was dealing with the things in a healthy manner got me to actually say, all right, fine, I'll go. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, now that we've both kind of been through the system, one of the things we've seen is how frustrating and difficult it is to get the help you need. Oh, yeah. It's, Our system is so broken. Yeah, and we're both, I mean, we're both, um, we have flexible schedules, we're both entrepreneurs, and so we can go at like Tuesday morning at nine, but so many people can't. Mm -hmm. and part of the reason we went with a program for the help, aside from the fact that in the plot, Aiden couldn't go to a professional, was how nice would it be to just turn this thing on when you need it, not when it fits somebody else's schedule. And if we can work out VR games that let you walk around in a world, why couldn't you work out a VR program that lets you sit down with a psychologist? That's a much more um, applicable situation for everyday life. And it just helps with the problem of scheduling. It's one of those nice dreams you can have in SpecFic of, I wish I could just turn this on when I need it, not when it works for the psychologist schedule. I mean, yeah. the good news is we're getting more into telehealth and whatnot, but that's a whole other conversation. So um, I'm just gonna throw a PSA out for, for watchers real quick. Go see a therapist. Yes. Even, even if you don't have any sort of neurodivergence like depression or anxiety or whatnot, we all need therapy. We need someone to talk to. Yeah. It, there's no shame in it. Go do it. Yeah, just, just existing in this world is, like, hard enough. <laughs> like, de definitely go see someone. And also, um, you know, in the back of, of these books, for, for our listeners, there are some amazing resources, which I can also link in the description of this video, um, for, you know, people who are experiencing all sorts of things. And um, definitely, you know, there's a lot of free resources out there. They're just not always the easiest to find. And that's why we started putting the resources in the back. If somebody randomly picks up a book and says, oh my God, I'm going through this. We want them to flip to the back and say, it's really frustrating when somebody says, go get help. And then you say, great, how? So we wanted to help with that in a small way. Yeah, I've definitely found myself like, 
in a point where I was like just super anxious and like from for my work I, I travel for work so like talk about a schedule that's not flexible I'm not even in the same state most of the time and I've just like reached out to I mean like mutual friends on Twitter but like let's like essentially strangers and been like so I think I have the same symptoms you have <laughs> it's like that's not you know that's that's good that's that's a start of a support network but like those people aren't professionals and you're also asking someone to to carry some of your emotional weight, which, you know, maybe they're dealing with their own shit, so. It's <laughs> also the internet, so every once in a while you'll put out something very authentic and get slapped upside the head. Yes. <laughs> we haven't really had with this series yet. No, we've been lucky <laughs> so far. We haven't gotten any drive-by one-star reviews yet. I was I was wondering too because like in the beginning there is this this disclaimer um, about you know some of the the characters and my initial reaction like to to be honest was like do we need like warnings for types of characters like this because because in a lot of ways you know people will use those types of warnings as um, a form of othering and so so at first I was like oh I don't know and then I realized like well it also is going to help people find it. And it will avoid, you know, people getting um, offended and leaving those nasty one-star reviews. Um, And I I started to read it as not as a warning, but as like a a welcome sign in a lot of ways. We we pretty much decided to to put the disclaimer in as kind of an attempt to create a safe space in the book. (laughs) If you don't belong here, here's your door if you want out. Mm -hmm. And it actually has been helpful because one, so we originally put it in for two reasons. And we got the idea from Gail. <laughs> to keep minors from reading explicit that, sex scenes. Yes. Because we have had the uncomfortable moment of a couple of folks have been like, oh, a queer representing, I got to give this to my kids. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> 18 and older, please. <laughs> yeah. So we got the idea originally from Gail Carragher. She puts a very beautifully snarky start to her all of her books with sexual content especially her san andreas shifter series which is mm-hmm. queer well, werewolves in san francisco and i'm going to mangle it i'm paraphrasing horribly here but it goes something like um there are romantic and carnal scenes between men if love in its many forms and love's results in even more varied forms offend you i have a um, YA series over here, and she gives the name. Thank you for your self-reflection and understanding. And it's a great way for her to be like, I get that some people are prudes. If you have a problem with it, go there. <laughs> and so it's a CYA. It's covering our butts. Mm-hmm. But it's also, hey, if this is your thing, be here. Um, we're also, we're working on book three right now, which comes out August 6th. And our sensitivity reader reading for trans issues did specifically say this can be very triggering this one incident no spoilers in the plot can be very triggering so put it in a trigger warning at the beginning of the book and i looked at that checked it and said okay we can say hey this happens and it's a good way for people to just be ready and i I do think that there is like, there's a lot of conversation in the literary world about trigger warnings and the need for them or, you know, people being oversensitive and things like that. And I think a lot of it just boils down to misunderstanding the term trigger. Yeah. yeah and I mean, just, 
like that's that's I think that's really what it is it's just sort of a, a misunderstanding yeah it's basically when we're talking about trigger warnings in the context of our book it's this particular situation happens which we know is and can be traumatic for people mm -hmm. and if that might um send you into a depression spiral or give you an anxiety attack or aggravate PTSD or like do anything mentally that we don't want happening to you and yes. you don't want happening to you, skip this part. Yeah. It's our, <laughs> our, our way of saying like, life sucks. We don't want to make it suck more for you. Yeah. We, we're not setting out to trigger people. Yeah. It's just with the content of our books and the things that our characters are going through psychologically, we're gonna have to touch on some things and it's gonna suck. Mm -hmm. But it'll be worth it in the end. And also, like I said, from the practical point of view, it's a CYA. I don't wanna get a one-star review. There was sex in here. <laughs> you were warned. <laughs> Page three. So none of that. And I think, too, a lot of people, um, at least, you know, folks that I, I follow on Twitter and, and whatnot, when they talk about trigger warnings, it's more like, I just want to go in prepared. You know, yeah. I, it's, I just don't want to be surprised. And for me, like, I, reading, I'm, I'm a little bit, reading's a little bit less triggery for me. <laughs> um, but like with films, it's like, just, just tell me if someone gets raped. Just tell me and I can either cover my eyes or I just know. Like, that, that's all I need to know. And I think that's... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you can you can just go in prepared. And I think what's also important is sometimes you want to go read those scenes because you want to see how the character overcomes it. Because yes. like you were talking about, you know, you, you're exploring these identities with your characters. And I think a lot of fiction helps us solve our own problems in a more organic and sort of subconscious way. And I think that that's, that's really useful too when you're seeing them combat things that you've combated yourself. Yeah. And that's a big thing we wanted to showcase was all of this is difficult and it sucks dead rat through a straw, but it can be overcome. And it isn't even like a dragon you fight once and it's done. It's more like something riding your back. Yes, the weight is there. Yes, it's hard, but you'll keep walking and you'll be okay. You're doing this. You've got it. And that's a big thing we want to just showcase was that you can just keep dealing with it day by day and have a good life. Um, so that's a big thing. The only thing we did not trigger warning for was cursing. And that was where I was like, if you can't deal with a cuss word, grow up. <laughs> with a lot of cuss words. <laughs> with a lot of cuss words. a lot. Okay, Janice does this creatively. <laughs> that's her um, so our hydroelectric specialist, she does all of the, so their base is mobile. It can be taken apart and moved on a regular basis and they move it because surveillance patterns are built up by the AI and the drone systems that are patrolling all of the US. So wherever they go, they have to have power, plumbing, air conditioning, because it hits 118 in the summer and clean water and water filters. This is the lady who runs all of it. She runs it perfectly and she cusses you out if you get in her way. <laughs> she loves you as a base member, but she will cuss you out. Um, but yeah, I, I come from a 
family where, let's just put it this way, I was encouraged to act like a lady, <laughs> despite the fact that many of the women in my family are in the armed forces. <laughs> and so you're expected to be an officer and a lady or an officer and a gentleman. Yeah, I bucked that. <laughs> I was gonna say, how's, it, how's that going? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I decided that constantly checking yourself for words that were triggering beyond, you know, not uh, microaggressing or hurting someone. Actively using slurs. Actively using slurs is one more form of, I guess, you know, cultural suppression. So, we have cuss characters who cuss. Also, it's a military unit. They cuss. Feel of it. <laughs> so I um I recently got speaking of that, I recently got a um one of those lovely one star reviews on my own sci-fi. And oh, oh I mean it's I it, it'll help other readers who feel the same, you know, avoid it. Um and and that's sort of how I'm looking at it. But what I thought was really funny was the the reviewer said something about um the profanity that my main character Nell uses and but despite that I seem very nice online and at first I was like I need to swear more online <laughs> because if you don't like her you're not gonna like me because like you know like your character she's very much a part of me and uh yeah I swear a lot and I always think it's funny when people are like it's not very realistic it's like I weeded out a lot yeah. of the profanity <laughs> <laughs> that like would be in more norm like normal work conversation and just get people swear not not everyone and I do have characters who don't but like <laughs> well and I think it's very situational I mean and it's very the reason I mention it is because if it works for the character I have seen some books where you're just like really yeah but if it works for the character it should totally be part of their personality that's just what happened and the reason we mentioned Janice is because she's the creative not gonna wreck your your YouTube um, ratings by starting a cuss, but no. She, <laughs> oh no, I, I I swear all the time. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, but she, she comes up with things where everyone else is like, "Nice one." <laughs> um, but um, going back to Kevin, he curses very rarely, and when he does, everyone knows something's up. Yeah, everyone's like, "Uh oh." <laughs> and um, so when he does um, an exclamation, he's Jesuit, so it's usually something. Instead of something profane. So when he says something profane, everyone's like, crap, are we in trouble? <laughs> What's wrong? And getting the, the use of language to the character is what matters. So I really don't care if we do get a one star review for profanity. If you can't see that that's part of some people's personality, then you need to read more or be around more people. Because um, so my day job is as a landscaper. And I used to run a crew, and I went in as an officer and a lady. Didn't work. Didn't work. Until I learned to curse in English and Spanish both. Um, and then the guys essentially went, all right, he's not so stiff. All right, we're listening. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I learned that you fit your personality to the area. Mm -hmm. So I can be quite articulate and very professorial in my speech. She can, yeah. <laughs> or I can switch over to, hey guys, where's the fucking shovel? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
I, I always think that's funny too. It's a, it's a form of code switching, I think, and you know, it's a, a more subtle form of, of code switching, you know, without a lot of the, um, the cultural uh, weight to it for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, uh, and it's fun to show that too, because like our characters have all these different facets as well. And like, like with Kevin's case, like he doesn't always swear, but when he does, it means something. And you can see that in the writing when you pay attention to that and when you have contrasted you know with, with that characters who swear all the time and it doesn't you know maybe have the same weight <laughs> yeah because when Janice swears it just means she's talking right <laughs> her mouth is moving <laughs> yeah. although we have been having fun talking about code switching with working on the fact that even Janice so there are kids on the base and that's very unusual for their unit even this character who cusses all the time tries to be cognizant and is I oh, mean, there's a child. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, where's the kids? <laughs> and we've enjoyed playing with that because it's a subtle way of showing respect. It's a sh subtle way of showing, I care how you're going to feel about this. And so we, there's a 10-year-old in the room. We'll write, you know, they'll start to use their normal language and then go, mm. <laughs> And it's a, when you change your language for the other person, it's a subtle way of showing hey, I understand where you're coming from, or I understand what you need, and I want to give that to you. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think when you're showing that, um, especially, the, for example, um, using the word gamma in your book is a slur, and that's something that's brought up. And I thought that was a really neat way of showing people, um, like, like how you're playing with the, um, the idea of Kevin's privilege and him using it for good. People who do come from um, some form of privilege, whether, you know, it's because they're, they're white or they're straight or they're male, whatever it happens to be, showing that in an organic way and showing like Janice, for instance, you know, starting to say gamma and then being like, oh, I said I wouldn't say that anymore is a way of being like, yeah, okay. So she said she's going to stop. She slips up. She corrects herself. She apologizes and moves on. And it's not a big deal. And I think that's something that we need to see more of because with our culture, you know, and, and especially with, with the internet, people able to talk more and stand up for themselves more and having that safety to do that. You know, privileged folk, you know, we have that like, oh shit, I can't say anything. It's like, that's not true. And, and I think it's important to show that and readers will play off of that and be able to, you know, incorporate it into their, their own lives. Well, that actually we drew from another project that we learned to write a fantasy song together. It's a free webcomic we do called Parmesan. And um, a lot of the characters in that are based around Romani culture. And it's an alternate earth, though we are drawing loosely from Romani culture. We're definitely not on, on point accuracy. But one of the things we learned was that gypsy is actually a slur. Mm -hmm. I'd never known that until we started doing more research on the Romani people. And worse than that is Jip, which I grew up hearing my grandma say, oh, that's a Jip. <laughs> and I will occasionally, especially if I'm tired or I've had a glass of whiskey, I will say that. And then I'm like, oh. <laughs> and um, so I, that project taught us something really important. And I come from the upper Midwest. So I've been correcting my speech ever since. And now I'm like, wow. That's crap. I to change that, but I, I help take care of my grandma, and I still hear her say it. Oh, she's eighty-five, and I always debate: Is, is this worth it? Worth it? <laughs> right. 
Graham. <laughs> um, so point being, words have power and words matter. And the subtleties of the small words you use, like gamma in our books and jip in real life, those are like tiny knives. You don't realize you're carrying them, but they're still drawing blood. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, to bring it back to Aiden and, and yeah. gender issues, um, like getting misgendered, because I use they, them pronouns. And Liv has known me a long time since before I started using they, them. And I know she's still working on it, but she's started catching herself now every time she uses she, her. And I'm so proud of her. <laughs> um, yeah. But they can tell I've caught it because I got <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, but there are a lot of cis people who are like, well, I, I can't use a pronoun because I don't know which one to use and I'm going to offend you. And it's a, use a pronoun. If someone corrects you, use the corrected one. Because most people I know, and yes, there are a few outliers who are going to get pissed no matter what, but most people I know are pretty understanding of, I know you grew up in a binary society. I know this is how I look. I know this is what you expect. So I, I understand that this is gonna come out of your mouth first. But if I tell you I use they, them, please use they, them mm -hmm. after that. Um, and there's one time I was at a convention and I was moderating a round table, or I was the guest at a round table one of the two, and I introduced myself as, hi, I'm Noni or Amicidia, I use they, them. Five minutes later, someone was calling me she, or her, or whatever, and I'm just like, I just introduced myself with my pronouns. It is not that hard. And, and it's not like that person knows you, no. you know, previously. That's what pisses me. Like, like I, I cut my friend's leeway because I know it's a big transition and it's a relatively new transition for me. But if I literally just met you and said, these are the pronouns I use and then gender me, I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> it's, it's on purpose then. Like <laughs> and Nonier brings up a really good point in that as allies, you're going to fuck up. You're going to slip up, fix it, and move on. And don't make a big deal out of it. Right. Because yeah. um, that's the, the other thing that I've heard, at least in the community, I haven't experienced locally, but, you know, people slipping up and then making it about them. Uh, yeah. So, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. It's totally my fault. I'm the worst person ever, that sort of thing. Like, I've offended you. Quick, take care of me. <laughs> yeah. Just, I'm sorry. Move mm on. -hmm. And just throwing this out there for listeners, um, as an ally with an anxiety disorder, I sometimes have problems with this where I'm like, do I owe you a huge apology? Do I, 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 I screwed up, I screwed up, I screwed up, I screwed up. Take a deep breath and just say, I'll do better. And do better. Relax. <laughs> and if there, you know, if, if the person you messed up with is really angry and berating you, they probably had a shit day. Yeah, Relax. it probably has, has nothing to do with you. Or it has a little to do with you, but. It's a bit to do with you, but. They're you're, you're the out. last thing yeah. in right. a long line of probably the same thing happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I struggle with that. And so I'm just throwing that out to listen. And it's funny because circling back to the characters, um, as Aiden becomes more open with a lot of the different characters, this comes up, 
where some of the characters, how do we support you? And some of them did it better than others. And there are definitely those moments where it's like, ah, crap. And I like writing the characters, you know, working on that, but not making it the marginalized person's issue. It's your issue to work on your assumptions. So fix them, work on them, keep working on them. And that's the key. Like I said before, it's not a dragon. You don't beat it once. It's like training a puppy. You keep working on it and you put down newspapers. <laughs> and invest in some odor eliminating something. <laughs> and do your research. And um, there's a scene in the books where Kevin is, spoilers, starting to fall in love with Aiden. And he goes and asks the medical officer, for papers and Kevin is very much a research-based personality it's like out, I can get it right which is straight out of my character <laughs> my personality it's funny um so the point is he knows he has stuff going on with himself that he needs to learn more he needs to get it right so he goes quietly and says I need research material that's not off their equivalent of the internet that I know will be right if I ask a medical person, they can give me solid intel, and I don't have to wonder if I've just read bullshit on the internet. So yeah, make it your problem. Go do your research. And that goes for all parts of any culture that's not your own that you're researching. Go read, go to the library, go invent your sources. That's my other thing. Yeah. Like go to somebody who knows what they're talking about because the internet, is tricky for research. Yeah, try and try and find someone who has experienced it in the very least. And but like don't imagine them. I always talk about this with sensitivity reading. Like the step before sensitivity reading is sitting down and listening, finding people and just hearing what they have to say. Don't ask them questions. I mean eventually you can work up to that if it's you know in an, an appropriate setting. <laughs> but yeah just just listen. Yeah learning to listen is really a huge struggle. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what actually listening will do. Mm -hmm. So sort of like segue from that, speaking of listening to one another, um, co-writing is something that has really fascinated me. Um, and I have a very good friend and she and I, we, we share a universe, but we haven't like actually co-written a single piece together. And um, partially because I like, we both love each other to death, but I think we'd probably kill each other. So how, especially because you guys have been friends for so long, like, did that completely change your friendship? Or how did you, how do you separate, like, work selves and friend selves and all of that? I think really the biggest change it's, it's created is actually encouraging us to set boundaries. Yes. Um, because Liv gets super, super absorbed in a project and, like, laser focuses on it and just wants to work on it all the time and I have my fingers in like 20 different pies mm -hmm. and I'm doing this and fan art or fan fiction and fanzines and my own novels and short stories and my day job and like all these other things where sometimes I'm just so overwhelmed I can't deal with it and so it's co-writing has kind of given me permission to say okay Liv I can't talk about this right now mm -hmm. I will get back to you when I can. Yeah. Um, oh, and I've learned on my end is to ask, hey, you got headspace for this today. You got the spoons mm -hmm. for this today. And that has been a big lesson for me. 
part of the problem we ran into when we started working, really working on projects together was we found out we had opposite stress responses. Yeah. When I don't like the real world, I dive into projects. I hide in them. I stay in them because I don't want to deal with the real world. And when no near stressed, I hide from everything. Yeah, they like they disconnect from heavy work. That, that's when I go and binge fanfic or play video games or just watch movies. Yeah. Or... Whereas I tend to do this thing of I want to do something creative and worthy. I have to work on something worthy because that's how I refill my pool. And so the fact that we we talked about it, we said, okay, we're realizing we have opposite stress responses. I'm hiding in this project in order to not think about X, Y, Z. And and I have to get away from that project. Yeah, and you need to get away. Uh, especially for a while when we, we had really just started getting serious about it. And then I started going to therapy and started realizing I was way too close to Aiden yeah. and was dealing with too much of the same stuff and I just could not handle going back and looking at that character and what we put him through um, and that that was a hard time because I wanted it to get done but I just I could not do anything on this project and Liv felt super guilty for like trying to do everything I was like no go do the thing I'm just gonna curl up in the corner and like cry myself to sleep it's fine <laughs> So it worked out because what we essentially ended up at was um, radical, compassionate honesty. I want to stress the compassionate part because I've met people who think radical honesty is you never do anything. No, that's not radical honesty. That's, that's being an asshole. <laughs> an asshole. That's being a brutal asshole. So what we learned to was to say, you know, exactly how we're really feeling, which is I, like I say now, I really need to work on something. Can I go ahead with this part? And we'll wait on this other part until you've got the spoons for it. And I can also say, hey, I'm really proud of this. Can I show you this snippet? You don't need to do anything with it. Versus, hey, I need an idea here. What do you think of this? Mm -hmm. Essentially, drop the passive aggressive crap and just be honest about what you're looking for. If you're just looking for validation as a co-author, say, hey, I wrote a, a line. I really want you to see it. And the other person can say, oh, that's awesome. And then you don't have to say anything else. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for help, say, I need help. And then the key is accept when there are no spoons. And, you know, that's, it's not today. Uh, the other, oh, no, sorry. Uh, the other thing is scheduling. Like, mm -hmm. Both of us have crazy busy lives. Um, so learning to compassionately schedule and say, um, you know, if you tell me, so my symbol is the otter. I get really into things and happy. If you tell me no a bunch of times, I feel like I've been put off. But if you tell me not today, Wednesday at three o'clock, I'm fine because I have it in my head, Wednesday at three o'clock. Once mm -hmm. we learn that about each other. Yeah, and I, I think that's, really strengthened our friendship too yeah. because those are communication techniques that we take outside of yeah. just writing together and hey we're hanging out and i'm feeling x and i need to tell you that because yes. i don't want to talk about this subject or set a yes. boundary or whatever um well and no yeah. do you want to tell listeners about spoons because i i realize i've used that a couple of oh yeah i mean spoon theory for for those who might not know is a theory that came off the internet. What? Uh, I, I <laughs> what don't. A good one. 
it is. I, I don't remember exactly came up with it, um, but the general idea is that everyone has so many spoons in a day to represent your energy and different activities take different amounts of spoons depending on who you are, what the activity is. Um, it was originally used for chronic pain to describe like I'm in pain so I can only do this much today. Um, but it's, it's kind of become a mental health thing as well. Um, so for example, like taking a shower might take two spoons a day and six spoons the other day and you only have 10 spoons a day and you have to figure out how to schedule that and what, how to prioritize those things. Um, and for, for me, that's, it's a very useful metaphor. And it became useful for me to learn because then I could say, hey, do you have the spoons for this today? And it removed, I'd say the shame element mm -hmm. of working on a project the pro because now it's about working out what energy levels we're both at, not who's getting productive at things done. Because that needs to be removed. Anytime you're working on a co-authored project, get the shame out of the room right now. Yeah. Or, or, or in any project, actually, I think. Because I, I always feel ashamed when I haven't like, done enough. I'm so ashamed. Okay. <laughs> Like this, this has been my therapy session for like the last six months of dealing with productivity and the way that capitalism has instilled in us these values of we're only worth something if we're productive and if we're producing yes. something. And that is not true. It's so hard to get over. It really is. And I'm getting so much more political than I anticipated. <laughs> Well, given what we write, it's good. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, but yeah, it's, it's hard. And then having someone else bounce off to say, well, the team was productive. Yes. Or, you know, we can look at this thing and say, we accomplished that. Mm -hmm. Like, we sold books yesterday. Yeah. Um, and we networked. And just having the little wins. Mm -hmm helps a lot I think especially with with creativity too because it's such a journey it really is a journey and I guess circling back to your original question the biggest thing with co-authoring is just be compassionate be honest and be realistic yeah <laughs> that's, that's also something too like because you know Marissa and I we were business partners for a long time and you know, we both struggle with anxiety and depression in different ways, and we have completely opposite schedules. I work, like, doing creative stuff on the weekends because I travel for work, and I'm away from, like, all of my computers and, and stuff, and she has three children, and so the weekends are her off time because, you know, they're home from school, and uh, we, like, we're so bad at boundaries and communication. We're just like so bad about it. And finally, when we decided, you know, amicably, of course, to like sort of go in different directions because we wanted different things, that was when we had those conversations and we're like, wow, like <laughs> it's so shitty that we, it, it took us so long. And also just understanding how the other person wants to receive um, appreciation. Um, I sort of draw from the like, I think it's like five love languages or something, but that, that idea of each person displays and receives affection or appreciation or acknowledgement in different ways and understanding that because that's like, 
you know, in friendship, especially because that's a relationship, <laughs> you know, understanding that is just so hard and it doesn't need to be, I mean, it's, I mean, it's always going to be a little hard, but it doesn't need to be as hard as it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you address it, or, you okay. address it in a point, important point because, um, Right when Noemir was starting therapy, I was having a lot of family issues. And it was not a good time for either of us. <laughs> well, the reason I bring it up is because I want to tell people who are having these kinds of creative relationships, it's okay to go through rocky patches. It doesn't mean things are ending. It might just be a rocky patch. And um, if you've done a lot of traveling, you know that there are parts of the trip you just hate. You just hate. <laughs> That doesn't mean the trip sucks. It just means that part sucked. So that, that road needs to be paved better. <laughs> yes. Or, wow, that airport's awful. <laughs> um, so we hit a rocky patch where I was dealing with a lot of family issues and painful situations, and I was getting diagnosed with anxiety and refusing it. And Nonier was dealing with their own stuff, and I was you know, we hit a point where I was just sobbing and we were talking things out. And like you said, it's mm -hmm. sad that you hit that point where mm -hmm. you should have had that conversation about three months ago. But don't be afraid of the hard conversations, I guess. Mm -hmm. Work through them. Remove shame. Remove blame. Hold up your end of your actions. And then move forward. And mm -hmm. it's okay that it's rough. And it's hard. Oh, it yeah. It's really hard work. Oh, yeah. It sucks your breath through a straw. I mean, <laughs> it does. But, Especially oh. if you grew up socialized as female mm -hmm. or as a, a minority of some nature. Mm -hmm. um, because we are socialized not to take up space, yes. not to talk about our own needs, not to set those boundaries. And it's really, really difficult to overcome but it is possible. And especially if you're also socialized in the capitalist productivity culture, yeah. where you're counting your worth by how much you got done, that also causes problems. Yeah. And it's part of the reason that our characters started book one so messed up, because they failed something very big, and their whole sense of worth was, I take care of my family, and I kick ass. And they didn't do either of those. Yes. <laughs> and so suddenly, they're spiraling all the way down simply because a situation that was out of their control got okay. How spoiler do we want to be? I mean, it's the first chapter. Okay, yeah. Um, so <laughs> the, the the first like quarter of the book, I think, is safe. <laughs> so the premise of book one is poor Aiden arrives at this notorious, amazing base used to be have twice as high of a success rate on their missions against the corporations as everyone else and then went to from a hundred to zero in six months and it was because their commander who'd been with them for 25 years got bone cancer and died and nobody could get him the treatment well that means the team couldn't get him the treatment and this man they all loved as either an old friend for the old hands or a father figure died because they couldn't get him medication. Medication. I know. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> One of those things. Um, so that's where we start the book and the 
interim commanders, there were two of them in the last six months, they got pranked until they begged for transfers. And a lot of those pranks sounded like they were pretty deserved, I think, in, in some cases. We, we actually originally wrote more about the pranks, and then we said, this is, this is fluff. Get out. Um, but if you look at our website, there's a page for a roster of all the characters, and you can read exactly what some of those pranks were. Detail. <laughs> and they were deserved, but they were impressive. <laughs> and um, you had a lot of fun thinking those up. <laughs> yes, I did. I also borrowed too much from if anybody out there watches MASH 4077, I grew up with that as comfort food for the brain. And so um, there's this one of the pranks, which is in Lazarus's entry. Lazarus is the munitions officer. He knows how to clean guns, how to load them, exactly which gun to use in which situation. And he also knows exactly how to get under other people's skin. <laughs> he's a real he's the class fire. clown. Yeah, he's the spitfire. He's the class clown. Um, he's a pistol in every sense of the word. So he did a prank that I based off the episode with the dummy. Mm. Line that always gets stuck in my head is a flower here, a flower there, a piece of dummy everywhere. <laughs> yes. So you get a sense of these guys will, you've got clever, young, or bored, energetic, and well-trained people, and they're pissed, you are screwed. <laughs> and we really enjoyed putting that together. But to circle back to my original point, they're acting like this because their entire sense of why they're worthy is gone. Character copes with their own trauma in their own way. So Kevin just stops sleeping. He starts taking drugs to stay up all night and work all the time. And Lazarus just gets more pranky and weirder with his pranks and scarier with his pranks. Janice just gets mean. <laughs> Janice gets vicious and threatens to hit you with a wrench. And she carries a wrench that's as long as your arm. So you take it seriously. Uh, everyone copes in unhealthy ways. We wanted to showcase that's life. Everybody has their coping mechanisms that worked for one situation and have gotten carried through, but they're maladaptive now. Um, my weakness is, and my friends and my family and my husband know that if I start to say, I'm sorry, more than what, twice in a row? Yeah. Then I'm starting to go into an anxiety spiral because mm -hmm. I can get down to this point where I'm crying and just repeating I'm sorry about anything I can think of. And that means that I feel invalid in that moment. And if that happens, people have to take me by the shoulders and be like, you're fine. So yeah, everyone needs that kind of support and everyone needs to get over this idea that we have to be productive all the time. Because that turns you into an anxious mess. I think that's something too that like in the dystopian cyberpunk worlds is examined, but think your series sort of takes it the next step because in in a lot of ways a lot of films um mostly because cyberpunk is is a pretty heavy film genre um yeah it's it'll show that that struggle against you know the the corporate thing the um just this like dystopian world 
but it doesn't always show the exact path out. Mm-hmm. And if it does, it's usually pretty filled with despair. Um, and yeah, exactly. And yes. <laughs> and, and Aces High Jokers Wild is really like the hopeful side of the coin. And, and I think part of that, part of the, that strength comes from the fact that on, on grid, on the co-y grid, you have this cyberpunk dystopia, you know, neon lights, ads everywhere, you know, everything's about money, everything's about credit. And then on the other side, you have this almost solar punk in a lot of ways um, community because they're just living off the land and what, what they can scrounge. And I think showing those in, in equal, um, in equal amounts is really brings the hope. I think it brings the hope to the, to the series. Which, which was kind of one of our, our starting points and our, the, the thing we really wanted to do was we didn't want to write something that just added to depression and the, the bleakness of the world around us and rehashed all of those cyberpunk tropes. We, we needed something to uplift us. Mm-hmm. And we figured if it could uplift and help us, then maybe it could uplift and help other people too. Yeah, and what really pushed us into getting serious about this was bloody 2016. Because where <laughs> we looked, all of our friends, all of our communities were just getting darker and more fractious and more unhappy, and yes, more nihilistic, where people were just despairing. They were either yeah. furious or despairing. And so we said, okay, fine. We're going to take it as dark as we can possibly go. And then we're going to say, okay, we're in this dark place. Now how do we get out? Because everyone was just yelling, we're going downhill. Mm-hmm. Fine. Let's get past that. It's also really entertaining because Liv is like the eternal optimist and I'm the eternal pessimist. <laughs> so writing-wise, a lot of it too was... I would come up with awful, awful scenarios to throw our characters into, and then she would find the way to get them out. Yes. And she would write the hopeful stuff, and I would write the awful stuff. And there are some scenes where it's definitely shown, because Aiden will say something really depressing, and Kevin will be like, quit that! (laughs) And that was definitely them and me just going, okay, you threw me that line, I don't want to do that. (laughs) You quit. And it's been really fun, you know, instead of the horror of we're sliding downhill, okay, we're at the bottom of the hill. That is a high hill. Let's climbing. Let's go. And yes, um, what you said is exactly what we're aiming for. The series is going to evolve further and further from cyberpunk up the hill into solar punk. And if things go well, our dream is to do a CODA trilogy a YA Coda trilogy um, of pure solar punk after the war is won. Yes, I will do, I will do one big spoiler, which is things get better. We have a happy <laughs> one, one <laughs> with hope. <laughs> of um, the next generation after this fight, because one of the tropes that has always bothered me personally, I think it bothers both of us, is that so many stories stop at the war is won. <laughs> but I'm a big history buff myself, and we're both well-read. Wars aren't like that. You sign the treaty, you wave the flag, and then you get to the hard work, which is 
rebuild, hold Nuremberg trials, correct things, try to fix problems, try to make the world work again. It, yeah. Addressing all of the mindsets that came from the war and from the things previously that are just so ingrained in people's consciousness. Yeah. Like nowadays, the productivity. Um, well, our GDP comes directly out of trying to measure what we were producing during World War II, and so does our food production. And this is something that has always slightly irked me. I really enjoy studying American history, but it irks me on a great many occasions. So one of the things that irks me is we are still producing our food and measuring our country by wartime survival standards. No wonder we're having problems. This well, and, and no wonder we keep starting wars where we don't need to because yeah. we don't have the justification. Well, what's the point? Yeah, we're trying to get, we're running a peacetime society on a total war. Well, yeah, <laughs> but on a total war footing for our economy and our agriculture and our food production. And that creates problems. But we, but an entire generation of kids grew up between World War One and World War Two, thinking this was the norm. And that's something else we're looking forward to addressing. Um, the technical term is um, operating baseline. But when you grow up with something, you just think that's normal. And it's one of the reasons I like having a history buff character in the story, because I use Kevin to occasionally say, you know, it was, it's not supposed to hit 118 around here. <laughs> it only got to 90. And, you know, Colfax Expressway used to be called Colfax Avenue, and it used to look like this. It used to be pretty, well, sort of. The longest, <laughs> wickedest street in America. Yeah, yeah. It's been funny because um, we have a gang on the Colfax Expressway in the next forthcoming book that's trading in the organ market. So when I was talking to locals, I was like, yeah, just a little different from now. <laughs> Colfax has a bit of a reputation in Denver. But yeah, we need to look at history and, and examine our assumptions, examine our baselines, and examine where they came from. And one of my favorite examples is neighborhood. Oh, that's a bad neighborhood. Okay, why? Did it get redlined? Did it get pushed to the side when development happened? Don't. Gentrification! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. History, yeah, studying history and studying systems anger but it also gives you a sense of resolve because you don't end up with this helpless hopeless feeling of the world is just what it is and this is again where we're yeah. different people <laughs> yeah it gives me a sense of resolve but i get a sense of resolve from the fact that okay somebody made this decision but we can unmake it right yeah you can you can untangle all of those pieces and when you have the pieces you can rearrange them exactly but you have to know the pieces first and um i grew up seeing other kids going to school in a lot of different schools and a lot of people so i moved around a lot as a kid and i would watch so many people just say well i'm bad at math or well my neighborhood sucks in this resigned tone you don't have to accept that stuff find out why i mean i was bad at math i almost failed it in college and i got a tutor and i traded house cleaning for tutoring and i had been taught that you looked for tools I was lucky to have been taught that. Because if someone hadn't taught me, no, go get a tutor, then I would have just accepted that I fail at math. But no. I still fail at math. 
Oh, I still fail at it, but I passed the class in college. <laughs> so I guess we just we need to teach people there are reasons for things. You don't just have to accept that things suck. And that's one of the reasons we showcase so much of what we do and so much of people using tools. Use the program to treat your mental health. Any exercises to calm down. You don't have to accept that Taking medication is okay. Yes, take your meds. There's no shame in it. Yes. And if that one's not working, find another one. (laughs) It's not just because it's meds. Yeah, and nothing is wrong with you. You have a different wiring system. So just like you find the right part for your machines, you don't try to stick the the, um, printer cartridge from one machine into another machine and then complain because it got broke. No, you don't do that. You go buy the right one for the right machine. Mm-hmm. You figure out which brand you are and find the right tools for that model. Um, and you can change which brand you are too, sometimes. Yes, yes. And it, it, takes, it can take a long time and it can take a lot of trial and error. Yeah. But in the end, it's useful. But yeah, and I guess the thing I keep stressing is you're not broken, it's just different. Um, this is something I've really struggled with as an adult because what it's easiest to say I have anxiety, but the condition I actually have is called hyperinsulinemia, which means I produce too much insulin and too much adrenaline. Some of tweak is me. We bounce off the walls and then go, don't touch me. Yeah. Hers is my, my dial up all the way. Um, it's a condition where you can pass out if you don't eat and you can get touch sensitivity very easily. Um, I can't tell you how many times we've been working and she started to shake. I'm just like, Liv, you need to eat something. <laughs> well, the problem with hyperinsulinemia is it turns off your sense of needing to eat, but you're also burning through your food twice as fast. So you're sitting there going, oh, I'm shaking. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> That's <It's> odd. <laughs> really ridiculous. So the reason I bring it up is because with diet, and the right medication, you can treat it and have a really fun life. But it does take some work to figure out the treatments. And living in a family that, and a country that really wants you to be strong all the time and perfect all the time. Or dead. Or dead, yeah. You start feeling like you owe perfection and feeling ashamed whenever your body doesn't live up to standard. I just feel like I'm in a therapy session. Well, I'll I'll put that in the description. Therapy session with OET. <laughs> yeah, therapy session for creatives. <laughs> Didn't mean to become health, uh, mental health advocates, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because that's where we're wired. But sometimes that's what you need. Um, well, that's but, why you're writing your books. Yeah. yeah. Well, certainly that's what I was saying earlier about history. A lot of we keep getting compliments on how creative our world is. I wanted to throw this out here while we're on the subject of cycles and systems and research. A lot of what we have is straight up stolen from the 1890s, the Gilded Age of America. What I'm talking about has already happened with less tech, but it already happened. And people who say that can't happen in America need to read more history. It already did. <laughs> yeah, so um, for example, we have a system called the citizen standing system. And you are graded- In the book. In the book, yes. You are graded according to 
how closely you follow the rules. Like people are recording things all the time. Your phone is recording you on what you're reading, what you're looking at, how long you're on your phone, all that kind of stuff. So if you're playing a lot of video games, that goes in your record. And the corporation you are contracted to, AKA indentured for life to, determines what their standards are for a good citizen. So they grade you and you go from citizen excellent, which almost nobody has 0.1% of the population, down to citizen poor standing, which means you don't get access to the, good, to the fast trains, you can't get on an airplane, you have to live in certain neighborhoods, you get higher interest on all your loans, all that kind of stuff. So they aggregate your, all your actions as a citizen with your credit score. And that's your citizen standing. Isn't it fun how close we are to that? Yeah. I was going to say, wait, I, I, I thought this was about the book. <laughs> well, um, a man named Pullman of the Pullman Train Car Company already had a employee rating system. And it was called the employee standing. And you got graded along four standings, um, depending on how often you showed up to work, whether you went to church, whether you were married, whether you had children, and whether you were caught spitting on the factory floor. And I think he had a couple of other things, but it was stuff like that. And it was because they were working on luxury rail cars for the wealthy. And when you built this, it had you know, ottoman carpets and velvet seats. And if you got tobacco juice on the velvet seat, you went down to poor employee rating because they had to replace that velvet. I stole it, <laughs> I straight up. But I wanted people to know that very honestly and very openly. We're not doing anything that's all that unusual. We're borrowing right from the 1890s. We haven't yeah. learned from it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Laze, we're borrowing the two things that made the 1890s, which was laissez-faire economics and paternalistic social ideals. And then we just took it and made it worse. So. And added the tech from today. Yeah. And yeah, because if a man like Pullman had had today's tech, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, all, already, like, employers will ask to see your Facebook. Yes. And like, I mean, I'm pretty much hardly ever on Facebook as like my, my own private personal self, but like, I yeah. just, it's scary where we are now. Yeah. That's going back. That's, that's the, yeah. one of the main reasons we started writing this was yeah. we needed hope. We did. But frankly, we think we have it bad. Um, you read about, Shout out to listeners and readers. If you haven't heard about this, you need to read about it. The situation for the Uyghurs in China mm -hmm. is a lot worse. So when you think America is fucked, look around the world. The Uyghurs had to have um, sensors installed in on their doors in Xinjiang province in China that tells the government how, how long they've been outside, how long they've been out of their house. Um, they had to have stuff installed to say how many calls they make. Their calls are monitored. Um, I should say the Uyghurs are the Muslim minority in China. So something we have shamelessly borrowed is it's easy to do anything when you shout terrorist. Mm -hmm. So when you shout terrorist and say we brought terrorists to justice, guess what? You have a free pass to do a lot of things. 
shouting <laughs> terrorism and doing pretty terrible things to this minority that doesn't have a lot of options. But that said, if you stand together, if you work together, you can rise and you can fight even this kind of a system. Um, you need have to. <laughs> yeah. It is your duty um, to help each other, take care of each other, and be compassionate for each other. I mean, ev everybody has that one day that sucks. Everybody has their own life experiences that shape them. But try to be compassionate. Now, I'm not saying be a doormat. I want to make that clear. If someone is not trying to fix their shit, that's not your responsibility. So, I just had to and also, yeah, go to <laughs> go therapy. Um, also, activism isn't always, you know, getting out and marching on the streets. Obviously, in a lot of ways, it, it is and it needs to be. But, you know, for people like me who are disabled in some way or, you know, don't have the means, activism can be art. Like what we were talking about earlier, you know, writing a book that pushes the boundaries or that shows someone a, a new way out of where they're at. That is just as important. And if we don't imagine where we could be, like, we'll never get there, ever. <laughs> and art brings people together. It <laughs> inspires people and it makes people think. And those are all incredibly important things for where we are right now. <laughs> I'm really glad you guys brought this point up because it's a very important point. It's an essential point to make right now. Fighting doesn't mean a knife or a gun every time. Sometimes the fighting you can do is donating to a cause. Sometimes taking fighting, care of each other. Yeah, taking care of each other, being compassionate in a time when compassion is a scarce commodity. If the tool you have is a pen, pick it up. If the tool you have is a paintbrush, pick it up. If you have dollars, use them. If you have a voice, use it. You don't have to fight like a warrior. You can fight like a bard. You can fight like a cleric. You can fight by social justice bard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and figure out your class. <laughs> and not like your, your class, but like... Figure your, out your D&D class. Figure <laughs> out your D&D class. Pop yeah. social justice in front of it, and then do the thing. Yes. <laughs> Activism is just as important as loud activism. Um, I recommend a movie called The Resistance Anchor for anyone who's feeling hopeless because it is a movie about the Dutch resistance in World War II and a banker who warped, fiddled the numbers and did a lot of very clever things to make sure that the Dutch resistance and pretty much the whole allied force had a ridiculous amount of funding. So if there are any bankers out there, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I Stop doing it. I didn't say that. Well, okay, if hackers want to really do something useful, delete everybody's student loans. <laughs> do it right. <laughs> but, okay, great example that there was a, I don't know all the details on this, please research on your own, but there was somebody who, when Trump was speaking, got into the image files and put up a new 
American presidential seal that shows the eagle, double-headed like the Russian eagle, holding a sack of dollars and a golf club. And it, and it says 45 is a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> Spanish? In Spanish. That is very quiet, but very powerful resistance, very powerful activism. And the fact that nobody started laughing until afterwards is also a form of activism. Yeah. Was, was Tweak there by any chance? <laughs> I'm definitely stealing some ideas here. <laughs> um, tweak time traveled back. She <laughs> coded in. You bastard. Guess what? Although, then it would have said, 45, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> with, with her little dragon yeah. sign. Yeah. <laughs> so, I will give away a secret um, later in the story. I probably already um, know it. <laughs> Uh, I don't think you know this one yet. Um, what book is it from? Tweek's, <laughs> Tweek's actual last name is Young, which is the Chinese word for dragon, and her parents call her the lucky dragon girl before they died. She still thinks about that and goes, aw, they were just telling me my disability isn't that bad. Stupid parents. <laughs> but she still calls herself in private, in her head, the dragon girl. And her symbol, when she's coding, is a dragon and yes and there's going to be a very big event in book three and a whole lot of servers are suddenly going to have a big picture of a roaring luck dragon <laughs> stuck on them but she has nothing to do with it i'm sure <laughs> just a coincidence yeah so yeah fight with the tools you had if you're a coder use code if you are a crafter little notes in the pockets of things to make people think about it. There's a whole TED talk about quiet activism and I'm really glad you guys brought this up because I wish I'd thought of bringing it up. Neither of us are built for going to protests mm -hmm. um, and we both learned that fast and hard and um, so this is our way of being in the resistance. We tell a story for hope. Just as important. <laughs> yeah. We each have our own businesses and stories as well mm -hmm. that incorporate that. Uh, like if your your work is all really hopeful and uplifting. Yeah. And my business, uh, Wandering Out and Crafts, is all about uplifting and supporting marginalized communities through art and spiritual com uh, spiritual services. Yeah. So I, I've got my own books. I'm doing art. I want to do some workshops. Yeah. Quiet activism is the way the way to go for a lot of people yeah mm -hmm. because change is not always loud in fact change is often roots growing under the ground um so i own a landscaping business and my activism is to push nat native colorado gardens and fixing plant deserts putting in giving out free plans for uh gardens when people are trying to figure out what to plant and that's huge for me because cutting down our water use is essential if we're not going to run out of water in Denver. Mm -hmm. Which I mean, then that we, we see that in the series too, is they're constantly worried about how much water we're using, how much, you know, resources we're using. Can we do this? And that's something we need to have been worrying about like decades ago, <laughs> but we need to worry about it now. <laughs> yeah. And we really need, so my quiet activism is, Head down, plants in the soil, 
planting things for the future. Getting rid of frickin' Kentucky bluegrass. <laughs> <laughs> They've heard a lot of frickin' Kentucky bluegrass, yeah. which is not very quiet, but <laughs> with my clients, I'm just like, this will really help with your water bill. So we'll put in this garden and we'll do this. And in my head, I'm going, yes, bluegrass. <laughs> Make them think it's their idea. <laughs> yeah, very much. Um, you can subtly encourage things. And for those of folks who are feeling hopeless, it is an incremental world. There are very few events where you can put your finger on something and say this, this changed everything. And even those events are usually nuanced. Mm -hmm. no, and most of it is a biased version of history that we're getting. Yeah, you, don't, you don't see the behind the scenes things. You don't. Or, or the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. You see the end. Yeah. We, we as humans like simple stories. So we tell, tend to tell simple direct stories. You know, there was a march in, er, in yeah, Birmingham. Wrote a really complicated book series. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> well, and it's funny because we, we do play with that. Like, Kevin tends to oversimplify history and be like, oh yeah, Rockefeller, he did lots of good things with his money, but he did horrible things first. <laughs> and uh, that's a whole chapter of history just turned into two mm -hmm. sentences. But anyway, uh, yeah. It, it's not simple. It's incremental. Everything's incremental. So do something small every day, even if it's, I need to get my mental health together. I need to take a shower. That's not selfish. First, make sure you're strong and then go out and help others be strong. Secure your air mask before helping others. I, I just wrote a blog post about that last yeah. week. Yeah. And don't, this is something else I want to stress. Our characters are living in a world where people are dying on a regular basis. I mean, there is a, one of the corporations is a medical corporation that kills babies when they're born outside of the genetic norms and throws them away to be turned into dog food. This is the world they live in. But they still have a movie night every week. They still joke with each other and they still listen to loud music. Kevin still makes everybody watch Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. Um, they still want, they still play games, they still have a Christmas party. Don't feel guilty that you are taking pleasures in the colors of a leaf or everyday things. Yes, the world is full of horrible things, but it's okay to say, I had a really good day today. Or, this ice cream is great. Or, hey, it's pretty. That's okay. And that's okay for you and it's okay for somebody else. Let yourself be happy in small moments because that gives you the courage to keep going. And for the love of all gods above and below, quit attacking people on the internet who are trying to be wholesome. <laughs> quit. Well, you should really be upset about this thing. I am, just give me a minute. <laughs> yeah, let I am, but this particular Twitter timeline is my fandom safe space. Yes. Stop. Well, and I mention this because we try to push the idea that you can be happy. Even in the dark, you can still whistle. That's okay. You need to do that. And I'm guilty of this on my own Facebook timeline. There are a lot of issues that I'm trying to advocate for and I fight and I think about a lot. But usually what you'll see on Facebook is, here's a happy plant. Here's an, here's, an here's an otter. Lots of otters. Lots of otters. Um, 
because I figure there's enough darkness in the world. So I'm going to offer light and hope and resolve. Occasionally I'm going to say, oh God, this is fucked up. But most of the time I'm going to make you grin because the last thing we need is one more dark place. So to your listeners, don't be afraid to be happy. Be happy in the moment and fight for the next moment. Read our book. (laughs) Please read the book. Yeah, in, in, in the darkness, I think light, light is activism, so yeah, light can whatever that looks like. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's just about all the time we, we have here. Um, <laughs> we went over a little bit, didn't we? <laughs> You're fine. Some of them are longer, some of them are shorter. Um, but for people who obviously now clearly want to read your books, <laughs> um, where can folks find you online? Well, um, on Facebook, we're at wildcards1407. Um, on, we have our own website, aceshighjokerswild.com, and you can find O.E. Tierman, it's spelled T-E-A-R-M-A-N-N, on the great and mighty Zahn, <laughs> and you, lovely Zahn Sarah, for. <laughs> for that, <laughs> um, but right now, those are the easiest places to find us. Um, there's a mailing list, so if you want to sign up for the mailing list, you can keep getting a hold of things. And shout out, we are looking for advanced copy readers right now for book three. And we will give out um, audiobooks and copies of book one if you want to get caught up. You can miss book two, so you can book, do book one, review, book three, review. And then go back and, and read book two. <laughs> and want to, yeah. And be ready for August 6th. Um, we really appreciate reviews as much as we just railed against capitalism. <laughs> Well, we still exist in the capitalist world. So. so if you want to do an incremental thing, review a hopeful queer cyberpunk book, it really helps. And, <laughs> and um, just mm-hmm. tell your friends and family about it if you oh, enjoy yeah. it. Because word of mouth is more important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because yeah. it's, you know, it's someone else saying this is good, not just us being like, our thing is good, I promise. <laughs> well, and for good things, also just head over to the, the, um, Audible. There is an audiobook for book one, um, and it's it's just The Hands Were Given, O.E. Tierman. It's read by the kick-ass Kurt Graves, who is awesome. So good. <laughs> and if you want just to feel good and a little bit snarky, head over to our website and look up the sing along with the story list. So it's aceshighjokerswild.com forward slash sing along. We have a soundtrack. Yes, every book, and every book has playlists. I love that. Every book has an annotated playlist, and it's very much hold your head up and fuck the corpse. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll put links to, to everything in the show notes, um, but if you want to just like real quick go find the first book, you can get it at um, books, the number two, read.com slash hands were given. There's no apostrophe in that. Um, so that's the new link. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> By the way, surprise, guys. Yay! Yeah, um, yeah for yeah. listeners, Sarah is amazing because we've been poking the systems going, work, work, damn you. We've been fighting <laughs> capitalism. 2,000 emails to Amazon later. <laughs> <laughs> Which I tried very hard to be polite. Very hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, so definitely go check out their their work because it's just so incredible and it's just been such a privilege to be part of this project um i've said that like so many times but like 
this this book has like given me hope where I was like I'm not doing anything so <laughs> just <laughs> yes you did your job you can quit now please don't but yeah definitely definitely go check it out and um, visit their awesome website it's really fun really interactive um, so thank you guys so much for for joining me for this awesome therapy session yes, <laughs> <on> the podcast. <laughs> Um, this has been the Amphibian Press Podcast, and I'm Sarah Boris, and with me today were the two halves of O.E. Tierman. Thank you so much for listening.